Our scripture today comes to us from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, if you'd like to read along. This is the story of uh, the Emmaus Walk. Luke, chapter 24, we'll be starting on verse 13. Please stand as people of the resurrection for the Gospel reading. Now on that same day, Two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him. Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place in these days? He asked them, what things? They replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was still alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary for the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, Jesus walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in and stayed with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us when he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, the Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of God given to us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So one thing I want to note, I don't know if you, you recognize the timing of this story. You know, we are two weeks past Easter, but the timing of the story is Resurrection Day. Now, even before the day of resurrection, even before the day of crucifixion, we have to remember, why were all these Jews gathered in Jerusalem? Do you remember? It was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It was Passover. And so people were coming from miles and miles around to um, celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread, to celebrate Passover in the Holy City. And while they were in the Holy City, preparing for Passover, making their offerings, they noticed this guy, 
from Galilee who was preaching with authority. Every morning he would come to uh, the temple and would preach and all these foreigners have come and they would listen in to this guy who was preaching about the prophets and about Moses and Elijah. And they saw him um, overturning tables in the temple and they saw him um, healing and he, they saw him praying and they saw him under persecution and trial with such grace and silence. And maybe this isn't just some guy that traveled as we have traveled to Jerusalem. He might be something special. He might just be the one that God promised to us. He might just be the redeemer. We could only hope. And so Jesus came to Jerusalem with his 12 disciples, but there were other disciples like Mary and Mary and um, like Joseph of Arimathea, there were other disciples that were also in the city to celebrate Passover. And many people were able to witness near and far um, what Jesus was doing while he was in the city with his last few days. And so as they were building up a hope that maybe he's the one who's going to uh, bring back uh, Israel to, to God's favor, maybe he is the one to redeem the people, maybe he is the Messiah, the Savior, the Anointed One, their hope was building and then they saw their hope die on the cross. And so after the, the Passover feast, they are reconciling and pondering and wondering what just happened? What did we just witness? We saw this great man who was healing, who was uh, uh, anointed by God, God to open the scriptures. He is obviously blessed and chosen and, and he might be the one, the Messiah. But our leaders turned him over to the Roman officials to be executed. What, what happened? In times of grief, we process our grief together. We talk about it. We think about it. We ruminate. We weep. One way to deal with grief is um, to walk. Now, they weren't just walking out their grief. They were walking home. Remember, they traveled to Jerusalem for the feast. Now they're traveling home seven miles back to Emmaus, back to go on about their lives. And they were grieving and pondering. And I can imagine just kind of shuffling, walking in no particular hurry because they were heavy with sadness. And this guy travels behind them, says, what, what's going on with you two? What, what, why are you looking so sad? And they turn to him and they said, have you not hurt? Where have you been? And they, they say all the things that they had witnessed um, about Jesus and the hopes that they had placed in him. Little did they know that they were talking about Jesus to Jesus, because sometimes our vision is clouded and they did not recognize him, just like Mary Magdalene did not recognize him in the garden. He's a little different. And so Jesus, he returns the favor. They talk to Jesus about Jesus and he says, I am Jesus, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. And he says, uh, from the beginning, from Moses, through all the prophets, yes, you, you weren't wrong. This is the man that we had hoped for the Messiah, the Son of God, me, right? He's talking about himself. And so they go to a city. You know, it wasn't safe to travel at night. Um, they, seven miles to, to walk at the end of the day, at the end of a long festival, they stopped by a city uh, to rest. 
And so they, they walk into the city and Cleopas and the other disciple are trying to make arrangements and they say, hey, um, it's evening, why don't you stay with us? And it says, I like this, Jesus just keeps walking as if he was gonna go on about his business, kind of, are you gonna invite me to stay? <laughs> There's a sermon in there, are you gonna invite me? And they say, why don't you come and stay with us, have dinner with us, and he does. And they talk some more, and they process some more, and he does something at the dinner table. I wondered if you recognized it, the, the words. It says, when he was at the table, remember something different changed at that post-over table. When they were at their dinner table, he took bread, blessed it, broke it, gave it to them. What does that sound like? Communion. The new covenant. Jesus took the bread, broke it, blessed it, gave it to them. And it was not in the walking with Jesus that their eyes were opened. It was not in the study of scriptures with Jesus that their eyes were opened. It was in the breaking and in the taking of the bread that their eyes were opened. Oh my Lord, it's the Lord. It's him. And he vanishes because Jesus in the post-resurrection, he's different. Now, this story is for us. We are all sojourners traveling in our grief, in our processing, in our daily lives, in our daily travels. And sometimes Jesus will just come alongside and say, I wonder if they're gonna invite me. They didn't know it was Jesus. To them, it was just a stranger. And it tells us that sometimes we are going about our day and our business and Jesus is already there, already journeying with us, though we may not know it. I think there's a blessing in that. That is almost like prevenient grace. Grace there, Jesus is there, his presence is there before we even knew it. It was a gift that Jesus gave to Cleopas and the other disciples. And that I think is something that we all yearn for. Jesus, be with me. Journey with me. Don't leave me. I need you. Jesus, come walk with me. And we may say this prayer in some of our um, deepest uh, and darkest moments. Jesus, come, come dwell with me. Walk with me. Be with me. And oftentimes, I've heard over and over from disciples, from congregants, from youth, I always pray that, but I just, I feel like he doesn't hear me. I feel so alone. But there are things that we can do to invite Jesus, invite Jesus to come with us. The biggest one is breaking the bread just as their eyes were open in the breaking of the bread, our eyes can be open in the breaking of the bread. But there are other ways. Uh, the founder of Methodism, John Wesley, he, he discovered um, different ways that we can put ourselves in those thin places, put ourselves in intersections on the Emmaus Road to encounter Jesus. He calls them means of grace. There are things that we can do that put us on a pathway where Jesus might come up right alongside us those means of grace are things that you already know. Praying. When you pray, it's a means of grace. It, it is an opportunity to say, Jesus, come with me. Come, come, come 
sojourn with me, travel with me. Worship. You ever come to worship and you're like, Jesus is here. You know, we, we can listen to sermons on podcasts, I certainly do, or on YouTube, or do our own um, Bible study, but there's something about community, the communal way of means of grace that we come and worship together and study together, and we invite Jesus to come. And these means of grace, whether it is serving, or uh, devotion, or Bible study, or worshiping, or singing, or um, fighting for justice on God's behalf, whether we are doing any of those things, we are inviting Jesus to come. And we open our hearts to see him. As I mentioned before, communion and the breaking of the bread is definitely a means of grace where people can have that thin space, that moment of like, oh, this is Jesus that we've been talking about this whole time. My first appointment was in Spartanburg at Central. This is important to know because Central somehow has been uh, green pastures for elders uh, in the conference to go and retire. Are y'all familiar with that? I see some smiles from my retired elders. When I was there, green, fresh out of seminary, um, I was the associate minister of Christian education, and there were 23 retired ministers in those pews. Do you know how intimidating that is? <laughs> and... Uh, uh, Lots of Wofford professors and the, and the professor for um, you know, public speaking always sat right behind me in the choir. Very intimidating. But when you have um, all those retired elders, um, you don't need laity to serve communion. So many uh, months and months of, of communion with 22 retired uh, uh, ordained clergy and a senior minister and an associate uh, minister deacon um, we had so many people to serve communion that we never needed to use laity. Now we know better here and we practice um, laity can serve, administer the sacraments. But this was unfamiliar when I was um, at my first church. And one of my first um, opportunities to lead worship on my own as a, uh, a green kid right out of uh, seminary who had a lot of vim and vigor, um, I said, I think uh, for Youth Sunday, this is when the youth preach and they pray and they lead, I said to my senior minister, I said, I think for Youth Sunday, I want the youth to serve communion. Why, why would you want to do that? We have all these elders and retired. But I think, I think there's something to it when, when teenagers can serve communion. And again, full of vim and vigor, I fought with my boss. <laughs> I fought with my senior minister, who I dearly love. I really do, and have a good relationship with him. But I fought him. I said, please, please, let me do this. Let us put um, the consecrated sacraments in the hands of teenagers, of kids. Let them serve the congregation. Finally, we, we you know, begged and, and bartered, and, and finally, um, as long as they use sanitizer, the kids can serve communion. Okay, of course. <laughs> and this, um, where it might be familiar uh, practice for us in other congregations, this was very peculiar. And people were coming up to, to my youth, my teenagers who were serving communion, and one in particular was a girl um, that I deeply loved and uh, you know, had mentored and prayed together. And this was her first time ever serving communion, and tears were just running like fountains and streams, serving communion. She couldn't even say the words, um, this is the body of Christ, just tears. 
sobs as she gave the bread. Later, people came to me very perplexed. They said, what's wrong with her? I said, nothing at all. She's just talking to Jesus. (laughs) Somehow in that moment, in her breaking the bread, breaking it herself, she who had perhaps felt more brokenness in her young life than we have ever felt in our adult life, breaking the bread, Christ's body given for us, a gift of grace, a sign that Jesus loves you. She didn't need words. I feel like her eyes were opened. Were not our hearts strangely warmed when he was speaking, but their eyes were opened at the breaking of the bread. When we engage and seek these moments of means of grace, of serving communion, of, of leading children's sermon, of, of, of preaching and in teaching and singing, and this isn't just a recruitment stewardship sermon, I promise. When we engage in these acts of discipleship, we walk on that road and say, Jesus, will you join me? And our eyes will be opened. It will be open to know that we were never alone. We were never alone. It will open our eyes to see that Jesus is right here as a gift. His presence is ever with us. Their eyes were opened. Let us pray. Lord God, you are resurrected. You have shown us the pathway to the kingdom, to heaven, to full redemption and reconciliation to God's own heart. Lord God, but we know that you are still busy about your work and your ministry here on earth. Lord God, we are often desperate to see you. Our hearts are often warmed when we hear of your life and your ministry and your miracles and the gift of salvation. But Lord God, our eyes, we ask that you open our eyes. We would love that you be made known to us, whether it is through breaking of the bread or singing or praying, Lord God, help us to know that you are indeed the risen Lord, that you died for us, each one of us. Lord God, we, your disciples, apostles, we will go forth on our own individual journeys, but We invite you to travel with us. We are grateful that you are our guide and our partner and friend. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.